Welcome to the latest on the law, a podcast of the Boston Bar Association. The Commonwealth's premier legal association, the BBA, is home to over 15,000 members and 140 institutional partners consisting of law firms, corporations, government agencies, legal aid organizations, and law schools. Visit us at bostonbar.org to learn more. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Maggie Lopez, and I'm a private client associate with Aaron Fox Schiff. I'm the co-chair of the estate planning section of the Trust and Estates Committee for the BBA. We have a wonderful program today about community land trusts and how to plan and administer them. Our panelists in the order in which they will appear are as follows. Minnie McMahon, she's the coordinator of the Greater Boston Community Land Trust Network, which is convened by the Dudley Street Neighborhood Initiative and Dudley Neighbors Incorporated, which is one of the oldest and largest community land trusts in the country. David Linhart, a land use attorney at Golson and Stores, which represents Dudley, Neighborhood, Dudley Neighbors Incorporated. Harry Smith, a community land trust practitioner and consultant who served as the executor of an estate that included a property transfer to Dudley Neighbors Incorporated. Harry Margolis, an estate planning and elder law attorney at Margolis Bloom and D'Agostino, who has worked with Dudley Neighbors Incorporated. And Louisa Winchell, the property transfer project coordinator for the Greater Boston Community Land Trust Network. We are excited to get the program started. So, Minnie, I'll hand it off to you. And actually, we switched it up at the last minute, so I'm going to start. Thank you. I'll share my screen. Okay. So thank you all for being here at this program, and thanks, Maggie, for the introduction and the BBA for having us. Um, we're really happy to be here. I'm Louise. I'm the Property Transfer Project Coordinator with the Greater Boston Community Land Trust Network. Um, and I've been contracted by the network to support our member community land trust and working with homeowners who are interested in transferring properties. And we started thinking about this in part because homeowners started approaching our organizations and inquiring about whether they could do this. So um, over the various conversations that I've had with homeowners, I've learned that there's many different motivations that people may have for transferring property. So um, some people are interested for legacy reasons. For example, they have no children and or quote unquote obvious heirs. Um, they're questioning social trends of passing property along family lines and thinking about the relationship this has to wealth inequality. Uh, they have a desire to keep their property off the speculative market and don't want a developer to purchase and flip their property and or they otherwise support the community land trust mission, which in general is of community controlled and permanently affordable housing and land. Um, and in addition to people being motiva motivated for these legacy reasons, there's also um, some people who want to transfer property to a community land trust as a way to get support staying in their home or aging in place. And these are people who are thinking about transferring property to community land trusts before death as a way to get support with the cost, maintenance, and responsibilities of home ownership. And some people may be interested in potential tax benefits associated with this uh, transfer. So there's a number of community land trusts throughout the country that are working with homeowners that are interested in transferring property. And we've seen different types of programs that are designed to support different kinds of property transfers. So our network of community land trusts in the Boston area are just beginning to think about 
how this can work and what types of transfers are mission aligned and feasible for our organization. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of a portrait of why people start to think about transferring their properties and the relevance of the program today. So um, let's see. Um, over the next hour or so, we hope to introduce Community Land Trust as a potential beneficiary of a state plan, familiarize you all with some preliminary considerations and sample documents for Community Land Trust estate planning property transfers, and we'll focus primarily on transfers that happen through estate planning, so through will, trust, or life estate. Um, and we also um, are excited to uh, connect with all of you as estate attorneys and hope to develop a network of Community Land Trust and estate attorney relationships uh, to support future transfers. So. As I mentioned, we're still pretty early in the process of learning how this can look. So I hope that this program can catch you all up on what we know, what we do know, and invite you to think about how this might be relevant in your practice. Um, so here's our program panelists again, the list, and um, I'll pass it now finally to Minnie. Um, to share a bit about what community land trusts are and the work that community land trusts do. Thanks, Louisa. Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for um, joining us and inviting us into this space. So um, I'll just talk for a few minutes about CLTs, what they are. They are nonprofit corporations that own land and they can acquire it through just buying it outright from the market. They can um, they can respond to RFPs that a public that a city has put out. So they acquire land and housing in various ways, and um, they hold that land. They don't sell it. They're taking it off the market. They're holding it um, and then leasing it out to different groups for different purposes, as long as they are mission aligned purposes. So community land trusts um, own and steward land on, on behalf of a place-based community. And they are governed by community-led boards of directors. There, there are different ways that CLTs look across the country, but um, shared governance is really key to successful, um, long-term mission-driven operations of community land trusts. And um, one of the sort of key things that community land trusts do that and we think this is one of the reasons we're seeing um, more and more interest in CLTs locally and certainly across the country is that they really are fighting displacement, um, which we're seeing so much of um, in hot markets like in Boston. And also um, they they work well in cooler markets and in, in, in contexts and locations and times of disinvestment where there are lots of vacancies. They're a way to um, stabilize, help stabilize markets by um, removing the land from from the market and and securing it for long term community use. So there are about three hundred of these organizations across the country, about twenty in the in in Massachusetts, and our local Greater Boston network um, has about uh, eight members. Um, so if we go to the next slide, I can just get into the structure a little bit. So. All of this, the bottom here, this is CLT-owned land we're looking at. The CLT will lease the land to um, various parties 
as and for various uses as long as it's serving a public good. So um, a CLT might lease land to a community development corporation that, that runs rental housing. It might lease its affordable rental housing. It might lease its land to um, a, uh, a homeowner who owns the improvement on the land, but doesn't own the land itself. So there's a split um, split ownership of land and housing. It might lease the land to community groups or that are doing gardening or to a uh, to a commercial farm, and it might lease its land to, to businesses, to sort of local mom and pop businesses. So there are a number of um, possible uses on a CLT. What governs the relationship between the CLT and the lessee is this um, ground lease. So the ground lease, um, you know, it severs the ownership of the land from, from the improvements on the land. Um, and the land lease will articulate all of the conditions of use, right? So for, in the case of home ownership, um, the land lease will, uh, you know, make it clear that the homeowner, you're buying the house, you're not buying the land um, because these are public, this is a public good scheme. And because um, public money, public subsidy has gone into developing this home, um, uh, you have to be an income qualified person. So you have to make below a certain amount of money to buy into a community land trust. And as a result, in order to retain the subsidy in the home, um, when you sell the home, you have to sell it to another income qualified buyer. And um, what, what helps make that possible is monitoring from the CLT and from the city or whatever public source is subsidizing the home. And also um, there's a shared equity formula. So CLT homes appreciate in value at a predetermined uh, rate and community land trusts will do this uh, differently. We'll have different formulas depending on um, local conditions and, and the certain sort of focuses, programmatic focuses of their, of their CLTs. Um, also in the ground lease, there'll be a right of first refusal for the community land trust when the home goes up for sale. Um, and there will be other provisions like, the, you know, the home is inheritable by next of kin, even if they are, um, you know, if they are not income qualified, you can still pass it to next of kin. So there are different provisions um, written into the ground lease. Um, I think the other things I just want to say about this sort of the basic structure, again, um, cooperative, so sort of collective stewardship is really key. So um, maintaining the land and the housing over generations is really important to the community land trust and to the wider community. Um, Long-term stewardship is really important. There are very few foreclosures on community land trusts. CLTs will work um, with banks, with homeowners, if, if homeowners are in a position where they're unable to, if they're approaching delinquency, um, can intervene and say, wait a minute, you know, this land is owned by us. How can we correct the mortgage? The CLT can help correct liens. Um, so long-term stewardship of, of the improvements, even if the CLT doesn't own them, um, is really key to the model. I did, you'll note on the far left, there's a indicator that there are some CLT-owned improvements, just to say that exists too, right? A CLT could own, it could own its own business. It could own a like a commercial building or, um, or own its own rental building that it itself administers. But of course, today we'll be talking about um, 
owned homes where the individual party owns the home and then a CLT owns the land. So let's go to the next slide and we'll do, we'll get into some questions. We'll have time for questions after this brief description. So I just, I want to touch on the sort of why do we do this? There's individual sort of direct individual benefits. If you're a commercial tenant, homeowner, renter on CLT land, we're committed to providing affordability below market rents, um, below market sales price. You're going to have a more affordable mortgage. You're buying just the home, not the land. Um, your taxes will, in effect, be lower because the value of your home is lower than a market rate home. So there are some direct benefits to users of the land. And then there's a sort of bigger um, uh, mission that we have, too, or a sort of more broadly writ mission of wanting to lift up shared government of space, wanting to capture and recycle time and again public subsidy into affordable housing and other community amenities, um, really trying to push back against this gentrification and speculation um, uh, wave that we find ourselves in and really hold on to, um, you know, really promote permanent affordability of housing uh, in our communities. And before I pass it to, um, well, I'll pass it to you all for any questions. Um, before that, we'll go to the next slide. And I just want to mention that um, this is for anyone out there who's like, oh, this sounds interesting. I want to learn more. You know, you can talk to us more after this. You can certainly, we can share more resources with you. I do want to mention that community land trusts are now in maybe 50 or so years of existence. Um, and the first CLT in this country, as we understand it, or the first CLT, um, came to be in Southwest Georgia, um, coming out of the civil rights movement, and had antecedents in 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 movements internationally around redistribution of land, collective ownership of um, agri agriculture, and sort of economic production. Um, uh, certain theories around land taxation and how do we collectively capture. Um, sort of public value of places rather than than have individual um, capture of value. So um, there's a sort of political um, historical precedent that that we like to mention when we're introducing CLTs to folks. Um, but of course, there's far too much to say here. So that's a little brief introduction, and we can um, we'd be happy to take some questions on this part um, before before moving forward. And someone said, yes, we can we can certainly share the slides. Yeah. And also happy to move ahead and folks can just keep putting uh, questions in the chat as they come up. So I think Harry Smith. <clears throat> Harry Smith. All right. Thanks, Minnie. So I, um, I just want to talk to you briefly about a, a real live ongoing case study that, uh, that we're working on now of a, a community leader in, in Dorchester, Uplands Corner community, who uh, unfortunately passed away uh, last December 2022, uh, but who uh, had for years been planning to donate his house to the Dudley Neighbors Inc. Community Land Trust. And so it's a... It's it's a process that is 
on its way to being completed, but it's not totally completed. So there's a lot of lessons learned here that I just want to share a little bit about it. Um, this is uh, Bob Haas, who, is, like I said, a longtime community leader, board member of the Dudley Street Neighborhood Initiative, as well as a leader in his community of um, on Monadnock Street in Upham's Corner. And if you go to the next slide, just want to um, show you a few pictures. This is Bob's house. It is built. It was a beautiful mansion built in 1880 uh, by, I believe, a sh uh, Boston uh, ship shipyard owner or shipbuilder. And um, you can see all the beautiful wrought iron and and design of the house. This is on Monadnock Street in Upham's Corner. He purchased this house in the early 1970s for a very low price and really converted it over the years um, into more of a a community center, community space where uh, it was something that he had uh, used as a gathering space for the community. Um, you can see in the next slide, the, um, this is a, he was also a photographer. So there are a lot of photos of, uh, that he took of, of um, community gatherings and block parties that he had over the years. This is in the 1970s in Upham's Corner, right, on, right in front of his house in the background. And so it was a it was a place more than a house. It was a it was really a community center, and it was also a guest house for young people from all walks of life who were focusing in on community service projects and urban planning projects um, in the Roxbury and Dorchester neighborhoods, um, who would live at his house while they were working or studying uh, locally. And so, um, a few years ago, when he as his health was declining. He asked uh, me if I would be his personal representative and um, and help facilitate the transfer of his home to Dudley Neighbors Inc. Um, once he passed away. And um, so since last December, we've been working uh, to try to uh, uh, meet that vision and he, you know, and and accomplish his his goals. And so um, if you go to the next slide, just want to give you a, a short a glimpse of of his uh, last will and testament, where he um, articulates his goals and desires for transferring the the ownership of his home to the Dudley Neighbors Inc. Community Land Trust. In this case, um, it, it would include a ground lease, as many mentioned, the ground lease that would impose uh, restrictions on on the resale value if the home was ever to be sold. And um, he also had a uh, he also had a, a um, desire to form a nonprofit organization that would actually administer and manage day to day the the land trust, um, because Dudley Neighbors Inc. is expert in holding the land and providing support and services to homeowners and others. But um, in this case, he was looking to continue it as a as a guest home and a, a place where uh, where young people could come and live and and uh, share in community um, for the long term. And so um, so he was, so this is what we've been working on the last year. Uh, we are almost at the point of, of, uh, of transferring it. And uh, we have David here from Goulston Stores who has been helping spearhead that process along with, um, along with Dudley Neighbors Inc. Um, the big, I guess if you go to the the last slide that I have, 
um, some of some of the key features of of the twenty nine Monadnock example and some of the lessons learned are that um, are the need to really clearly discuss the options um, for the for the land transfer during the owner's lifetime and making sure that all the uh, paperwork is up to date. So in our case, for example, um, there were some changes made to the to the will at the last moment um, in terms of wanting to um, name a board of this nonprofit, for example, and um, and uh, to make some other changes. And and um, his health declined so rapidly that he wasn't able to finalize the will. So we actually had to file and probate with the original will, which did have this language about transferring it, but it made it a little more complicated um, as we had to go speak with uh, his heirs who had been named in the old will to say that, to ask them to uh, give up uh, small bequests that had been uh, in the original will. Um, also, he had wanted to set up a nonprofit organization called, and it ended up being called the Bob Haas Community Trust, um, but it wasn't set up until after his passing. And so that that led to some, some delays and challenges. Um, so just overall, if this is a road that clients are looking to go down to really encourage them to have everything um, in place. And uh, the same with the, the issue of, of uh, you know, doing it through the probate court or having the house in trust beforehand. In this case, um, I'm the personal rep and it took about three months or so before I was formally named by the probate court as the personal rep. So that, um, that tied our hands a little bit in terms of how quickly we could move on the transfer as opposed to a trust situation where it would have been able to move more quickly. Um, there were also some existing debt obligations that, um, that we needed to take care of and, and fundraise for. And, and, um, you know, and so just really having a clear understanding of, of what, what the land trust is walking into in terms of accepting a, a home um, and understanding where, where the mortgage is at and other debts. Um, and I think in this case, um, one unique feature, well, not unique, but one interesting feature is that uh, at the closing of this property, it's going to actually uh, be done in a way that the, uh, that the home will be transferred to the new Bob Haas Community Trust and the property, the land will be transferred to Dudley Neighbors Inc. Community Land Trust um, at the same, you know, more or less at the same time. And so um, as opposed to transferring it to a community land trust and then separating it out later, that, that separation is going to happen at, at closing. Um, and then the other feature of this uh, property, as Minnie said, the land trust can be very, uh, very uh, flexible in terms of how, how they're used. And in this case, it's not an individual home ownership uh, property that's going to be transferred. It's going to be um, maintained under the ownership of a nonprofit and um, and for use as a group home in a community arts and arts and um, culture space as well. So it's been a very interesting journey, and um, I'm here to say it can be done. And um, and uh, we definitely need. Uh, strong legal support to make that happen, um, and uh, and also clear, just clear goals and clear expectations, so that um, so that the process can move as as quickly and smoothly as possible.
So now I'm passing it to somebody else. I think you're passing it to me. Harry. Thank you, Harry. So from Harry to Harry. So um, yeah, I think I think uh, Bob's um, legacy is great. Uh, I think it presented some difficulties in um, part because the nonprofit was not set up ahead of time, which is a little hard to do with kind of a chicken and egg thing. You you why have a nonprofit organization until you have the property in it? Um, and the, and some of the people he had named years ago in his original will were no longer available to serve as board members. And then he ran into health issues at the end where he had to borrow on the equity in the house to um, to pay pay for his health care needs. And um, and uh, and I think uh, Harry and everybody at the at the, the Dudley Dudley Neighborhood Initiative or Inc. Um, uh, did a great job coming up with the funds to to pay that off and to uh, to really preserve uh, Bob's legacy. Um, but in terms of, I'm the estate planner. Where, uh, that's my hat for this. And of course, you can uh, have the property transfer in a will or a trust um, or a life estate. Um, as Harry said, um, as in any probate matter, um, a trust. Um, can make it somewhat easier um, in that you don't have to go through probate. Um, and so I, I, I'm pretty much a, uh, um, I, li I like trust over wills, um, but you can do this either way. Um, and it can be an outright transfer or gift um, in the will or the trust. Um, or um, another op option is uh, if someone wants to, um, give their property to the community land trust, but um, have some money from that come back to the to their family, for instance, uh, they may, might give the community land trust an option to purchase at some discount off fair market value. Of course, they in all these cases, they should be working with the land trust ahead of time to make sure that this is property that the, the, the um, CLT wants. Um, and that there's an understanding about what will happen with it. And that's why it's good to have a memorandum of understanding on the side ahead of time uh, during life to make sure you have the communication and everybody's on the same page and so that your goals um, can, be, um, uh, can be carried out. And we've prepared some, some sample forms for a number of these, which um, Louisa can, can show. And basically, they're just languages for doing a bequest or uh, doing a, a gift from a trust. We have some sample language for a an option to purchase um, and uh, for a memorandum of understanding. As we say in red at the top, all these are illustrative only. Uh, none of our forms or probably any legal forms are there to be um, just used as, a, as they are without um, reading them carefully, making them sure they work, working with counsel. Um, and we will send these around um, to everybody on this uh, on on this webinar so that you have them. In, uh, and if you have ideas for how to improve them or if you've worked in this uh, field and have forms or documents that you've also prepared, um, if you could send them to Louisa, or many, um, I think we'd like to collect them so that we have a library 
for people's uh, purpose going forward. Um, and so we get back to the, I guess, the slideshow. Um, the life, uh, other issues to consider, there, I mean, there's always, of course, tax issues, and there's the possibility um, of a charitable deduction, um, which may be of more interest during life in some cases than at death. So um, that might be a reason to convey during life. Um, and you could do that either through a life estate or a gift of the entire property with a um, with a right to with a, with a lease coming back as if you were the uh, kind of the low income um, owner of the property um, at um, uh, during your life. And that way, um, you might actually get again, keep some benefit for your estate. Um, and also, um, and also get the charitable deduction I was talking about. But in any case, all of the, all, I mean, every everyone's situation is going to be different. Everyone's property is going to be different. And everybody's goals are going to be different. So the idea is really to tailor um, a plan that works best, uh, given the what the conditions are and the goals are. And all these are simply tools that might be used and methods that might be used to achieve those goals. Thank you, Harry. Um, yeah, and before we leave this slide, I mean, Harry started talking about this, but um, one option that is a little more kind of creative or complicated that we're still learning about is this possibility of homeowners transferring land to a community land trust while maintaining ownership of their property. So um, we've had people inquiring to do this as a way to become a community land trust homeowner and get the support of the community land trust to stay in their home or to age in place. Um, we've seen specific community land trust programs that are tailored toward, toward this type of audience. Um, and we've also had people inquire about it um, because it's a way to make a concrete commitment to a community land trust while maintaining the option to sell their property, um, albeit um, according to the terms established between the homeowner and the community land trust. So there's a lot of questions we still have about this, whether it's mission aligned for individual CLTs, whether it's feasible. Um, but I just wanted to mention it because it's something that we are exploring. Um, so next, I just want to highlight a couple policies that um, seem particularly relevant uh, when thinking about property transfers to community land trust. Um, the first is called the donation tax credit, which is also, I think its official name is the qualified donation. And it's part of the low income housing tax credit policy. Um, our understanding is that this program provides state income tax credits to uh, homeowners who donate an interest in real or personal property to a qualified nonprofit that commits to long-term affordability. So um, a CLT, community interest, would be an example of that. Um, and the tax credit is worth up to 50% of the donated value. So this is a potentially powerful tool and incentive, um, but from what we can tell, it's not super easy to take advantage of, and we're not aware of anyone who's used it yet, but we have it on our radar and we want you to also, um, because our impression is the way to get this program off the ground is to have people actually try to use it. Um, 
So um, the reason it's challenging uh, is, is just because the homeowner, for the homeowner to receive the tax credit, they would have to apply with the community land trust through the regular low income housing tax credit process, which is um, an elaborate process and, and has kind of specific application timelines. Um, the next is the Mass Health look back period, and I'll pass it back to Harry um, to say a few words about this. Yeah, that just that's uh, the point is just to be aware of this that any transfer can trigger five years of ineligibility for Mass Health, which can be important both for paying for home care and for nursing home care if that becomes necessary. And um, and if someone has received Mass Health and the house is in their probate estate it will be subject to MassHealth's estate recovery claims. So that needs to be factored in in those cases. So it's really just simply just a heads up to ask questions to to um, ascertain whether these are issues. And then if they are, uh, they have to be dealt with. Thank you. Um, so our final offering is a list of questions that we think are worth considering when exploring the option of transferring property to a community land trust. Uh, so because this is new to us, we don't have best practices to share. Um, so we're offering these questions in the place of that. So on the homeowner or client side, it's worth figuring out um, whether they wish to make a revocable or irrevocable property transfer plan, whether they want to leave and move out of their property, um, and then transfer it or whether they want to continue living there as, as a homeowner on the community land trust, whether they want to donate, sell below market rate or sell at market rate, take advantage of the donation tax credit that I just mentioned or other tax potential tax benefits, um, and also whether they want to maintain mass health eligibility. Um, and all, all of these plans will be in negotiation with an individual community land trust. Um, and as the homeowner identifies their desires and their preferences, it's, it'll be important to work with the community land trust to make sure that the plan is mission aligned and feasible for the organization. Um, and our, our, the community land trust in the Boston area are doing work on their, on their own side to, to think about, um, what is mission aligned and feasible so that, uh, we can make these programs uh, available and so that we know how to proceed when we're prepared to proceed when homeowners approach us. Um, so that brings us to the end of our presentation. Um, I hope that this has sparked your imaginations and given you some helpful information about what community land trusts are and how local homeowners can leave their legacy to community land trusts. So we'd love for you to share this opportunity with your clients when it's relevant. Um, and we would also, if you work on any projects like this, we'd love to, uh, as Harry mentioned, hear about them and um, and have you help us develop some best practices. Uh, so we have plenty of time uh, for the Q&A. Um, so we welcome any questions about the material um, and any comments or ideas that you have for us. And maybe I'll temporarily stop the share so we can see each other.
And if any of the panelists had new thoughts or ideas after hearing each other, welcome to share those as well. Or if there's anything we missed. Yeah, I might just say quickly um, that uh, being involved with this team to prepare for this session, uh, I, was, I was initially thinking about how sort of niche this this felt, you know, to be talking about it, uh, but already came across a couple examples, um, a couple of real world examples. One of them is in the presentation, and uh, and it's nice to feel like there there are there is interest in this, you know, and and maybe um, I was thinking about how as opposed to saying best practices, there's this, there, there's a lot of ways that this could go. And, um, and, and it's, it's sort of uh, jump in and, you know, see it, it's very fact-based depends what people want to do. Um, but there are donors that would be interested in this. Uh, so it's nice to feel like there's some, you know, there's some momentum. There are people that are thinking about it um, and it's a space to be creative. And I, I'm for sure um, interested to continue to pay attention and see, um, see what other real world examples will come across in the coming weeks and years. I'd be interested to hear from participants if um, folks are able to respond if if you have heard of community, you know, sort of what have you heard of community land trust before? Have you not? Have you ever had a client inquire about this sort of thing? We know people leave their homes to the American Heart Association or WBUR or whatever. Um, so yeah, if anyone just we'd be interested in that too, if you've had exposure to community land trusts either in your work or outside of it. So Minnie, I was going to say that I my first exposure to community land trust was uh, reaching out to Louisa. So this was definitely a new topic for me and a new way to um, convey, uh, you know, uh, real property for purposes of the community. And as you said before, like this was something really good for practitioners to keep in mind, especially when their clients are uh, charitably uh, minded, community driven. Um, and if it, if it all works well with, um, uh, you know, the nonprofit they're working with, then it, it could be a really good match. Um, and I actually, I was curious, I'm curious to hear from the participants as well, but um, besides the example that was given um, by Harry and Harry of the estate, are there other, many other cases that you've seen like this? Um, Harry, probably, Margolis probably could speak better to that. No, we haven't. This is the only, only one. Okay, and, uh, I was so, curious. Um, yeah, no, but would love to be involved in more. I'd say on, on my end, I, I, I did see one other example and, and, uh, um, in, you know, it wasn't, wasn't a topic here for the presentation. This, this, the example in the presentation is a home that would then turn into, um, it'd be managed by a nonprofit mm -hmm. and, um, maybe be kind of like SRO group home type, uh, you know, in, in the end, that's the housing that'd be offered. I, there was another example that, um, 
that I came across and it was just a, it, uh, it, it was similar in that it would go to a nonprofit that operates affordable housing, single family home. Although I'm not sure if the end format would be um, in, you know, a group home, but it could be different things. You know, Dudley right now, uh, Dudley Neighbors has a bunch of single family homes on individual ground leases and that that's an option too. Um, so, you know, and it, it may be that people don't even know that this is an option. So uh, getting the word out might might generate interest just by knowing that um, that 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 exists, you know, and you could consider that uh, among other options. Yeah, and uh, I've been, because this has been my focus recently, I've had various conversations with homeowners in the Boston area who, um, who are interested in doing this. There's a handful of people who have put um, um, the community land trust in their, in their will or trust. Um, um, and then there is a, a couple that's interested in transferring their uh, land while maintaining ownership of their property. And so we're beginning to figure out what that might look like. Um, there's also um, a handful of people who are, interested in selling and we've actually had had a few examples of this in the Boston area people who are willing to sell below market rate or at the very bottom of market rate um and there's uh and receive the tax benefits associated with that um and or they just feel they don't need to capture the full value of their home um and also we've like I mentioned there's a number of other uh, community land trusts throughout the country that are doing this. Um, and there's at least uh, two or three that have designed programs specifically for people to age in place. Um, so uh, homeowners can transfer property to the community land trust in exchange for receiving uh, support with costs and maintenance. Um, and but what exactly that looks like kind of depends on the the agreement between the homeowner and the community land trust. There's no kind of um, these are new new types of arrangements, and so um, I, uh, it it really varies depending on the on the organization and the homeowner. Um, but we've seen uh, the community land trust supporting uh, homeowners with. Uh, paying property taxes with major repairs with paying insurance um so this is uh you know really really interesting to us um a way to support people staying in their homes which is a big part of the mission of our community land trust um and also a way to um, take property off of the speculative market in perpetuity Great. Um, are there any more comments from the panelists or any questions from the participants? I'll just say if this does pique anyone's interest, please, um, you know, reach out to us. We'll, we'll, we'd love to be in relationship and, and keep figuring this out as we go. There is a question. Have there been any CLTs that have closed? What's happened to the property that they've owned? Um, 
I don't know the answer to that. I would not locally. Um, I'd say no, not in our, not in the Boston area. Um, I don't, that's something we would have to look up, but no, they're very, um, I think, I don't know, Harry, do you have an answer to that? Harry Smith? I, I, um, I don't know of a particular CLT that's closed. I do know as um, helping new land trusts get started, um, they, as part of their bylaws and as part of their documents, they, if that ever did happen, then there's uh, provisions to transfer, to identify another nonprofit or a land trust to, uh, to transfer those properties to. And, but it is a great question because as land trusts are really trying to promote permanent affordability, they're signing 99-year ground leases. And so we always say, if you're going to sign a 99-year ground lease, you have to have some plans for what's going to happen after we're all gone. And um, so, um, so the the homes wouldn't just be lost. There would be there'd be mechanisms, vehicles to put the homes um, into uh, into another structure. Um, and I guess that I'll I'll take the second question about CLTs meant to sustain themselves on the property they own, or do they look to charitable giving? Most land trusts. Um, uh, charge ground lease fees. They all charge ground lease fees to to a homeowner or to the uh, to the um, leaseholder. But rarely are those because we're trying to promote affordability. Rarely are those ground lease fees or other developer fees enough to sustain the operations on their own. And so there is um, there is also an emphasis on charitable giving, um, getting foundation grants for operating support, um, individual donations in. In Massachusetts, qualified community land trusts can get access to the community investment tax credit, which uh, if you donate $1,000, uh, you can claim a $500 tax credit uh, back from having donated to the land trust, which is an excellent way to uh, support the operations of the land trust and um, and manage your, your state tax burden. So um, there's different creative ways to do it, but un unfortunately, it's rare that there's a land trust that's gotten to enough scale where they're able to completely sustain themselves on uh, just on uh, their property. Maybe I was wondering if you wanted to say something about the fund um, as part of that question too. Yeah, I think well, they're, yeah, they're just sustaining operations. And like Harry said, you know, when CLTs are partnering with a developer to build housing or they're buying existing housing off the market, typically, um, they're sort of, you know, they're buying high and they're selling low or they're buying high and they're renting low. And there's this big gap. There's a gap to fill between either the construction costs and the sales price or the purchase price and the you know sales price or rental you know rental revenue that's coming in. So, um, like Harry said, we rely very heavily on charitable giving. We rely on public subsidy for these projects. Um, there's we're we're attempting to get more sources of subsidy for acquisitions as well as new construction, and we're also attempting to um, develop a fund, like a loan fund that um, CLTs have some governing power over to help um, to just introduce more control over financing um, in both acquisition and new construction deals. So 
but yeah, the, the financing is a struggle. Um, one thing that's relevant is to say that, you know, we're, we're in some way performing a duty that some might argue, well, shouldn't government, you know, shouldn't government be performing this duty? Um, or that, that it could look like it could look that way. It has in the past. It does in other countries in other countries. Um, so we kind of see ourselves as performing, we're performing a public good and we're also, we're a sub, we're retaining the subsidy, right? That's where we maybe sort of mechanically stand out from some government programs or some, um, other like nonprofit housing programs is we're really committed to recycling the public subsidy time and again. Um, and then, but the, and then there's the governance piece or some of the sort of programmatic stuff and the co-governance community planning work, trying to preserve the fabric of our neighborhoods, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, the financing is going to continue to be a struggle and finding the balance between being able to operate and having a sustainable organization for generations and maintaining affordable um, rents, sales prices, leases. That that's a challenge we face in our in our work. So yeah, I mean, we haven't. This hasn't been a big part of our work because we've been focusing on people transferring property for estate through their estate plans. But um, a whole other realm would be kind of if people don't want to transfer property, maybe there's other assets that um, would make sense that would be valuable and supportive of our community land trust. Wonderful. Well, thank you all so much. Um, I think we've answered all the questions from the participants. Um, and yes, thank you to the panelists. Thank you to the participants for attending. Um, as the BBA said uh, at the beginning of the program, this will be recorded um, so you can access it there if you need to hop off early or if you came in late. Um, and then if the BBA has anything else to say, um, I think we can wrap it up. <laughs>